All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight 20 plus years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products ever since. We've had students in 65 countries, and our students are licensing products all the time because they buckle down and they do the work. Um, and they go beyond what the average inventor does. Uh, this is a Thanksgiving week. It is Monday of Thanksgiving week, so I don't know if we'll have as many people attending today. Some of you might be on vacation, so we might cut it a little bit short if I don't get enough questions, but you guys know I love answering questions. So um, really looking forward to this. So just start typing your questions in the questions box. Um, if somebody can type yes to me, it doesn't have to be all of you, just one or two. Um, type yes that you can hear me just to get a confirmation. One time I did one of these. There we go. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Duong Guo, um, Gemini. Thank you, everybody. Um, also, if you could, um, hi, Christopher. Uh, if you could type in your first name. So if you've got a you funky YouTube handle, I can address you by your first name. It's not mandatory, but you're welcome to do that. Um, and I just want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving in advance if you don't stick around for the whole session. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, maybe you're spending time with your immediate family and not your extended family, but whoever you're spending time with or just thinking about, you know, I hope that you guys all have a fantastic Thanksgiving. So let's just jump in here. Uh, Christopher says, I've done my research on why my product could be successful and developed a store shelf quality prototype. Okay. Um, I have not found, not found the selling and licensing uh, part of being creative. Not, I'm not fond of the selling and par licensing part of being creative. Any tips for me? Um, licensing agent, question mark. Um, I, I would say 90% of, of inventing and licensing your products is the not so fun stuff. Uh, coming up with the idea, maybe even making a prototype, maybe that's 10%. It's a very small percentage of it. Um, being consistent and pushing your ideas out, that's the big um, piece of it. You can do it. We always tell our students, spend two to four hours a week or two to six, sorry, um, two to six hours a week. And that is enough time. You don't need massive amounts of time. Um, you need discipline. And the average creative person, a lot of creative people aren't that disciplined. Uh, all the stuff we're going to show you to do um, is not as much fun as inventing, but you have to do it because it's really hard to find somebody that it's going to be as excited about your product as you. Um, and as far as a licensing agent goes, I can tell you in the uh, 20 years I've been doing EventRight, I talked to somebody about every other day that's been taken for 10 or 12 grand by a invention promotion company. And they just pretend to work on their idea, I think, for a year. And then at the end of the year, they go, oh, there's nobody interested, you know. And um, so I have never personally met an inventor that had an invention promotion company um, license a product for them. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that in the toy business, yeah, there's agents in the toy business, um, but even those are kind of falling by the wayside for the most part. Um, most toy inventors are just going direct to toy companies, which toy companies in the past weren't open to that. Um, but for other product categories and including toys now, you need to go direct, you need to do the work. Nobody is going to do the work for you. They'll either ask you for a ton of money to do it um, and then nothing will happen. And now you're out a bunch of money. Now you're, you're, spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever is going to be like, you're not doing that again. You know, you spent 10 grand, didn't go anywhere. You know, when you license and you're spending less than $200 quite often on a lot of products, not all products, of course, um, 
you always have the financial bandwidth to move on to the next project if your project wasn't too complicated or, or capital intensive, which most projects you're going to license are not. A lot of them aren't. Not all of them, but a lot of them aren't. We have students that are working on, we call our clients students, um, working on very complex projects and spend a lot of money proving out the technology, what have you. But for a lot of products, you can spend 75 bucks on a provisional, a few bucks on a sell sheet virtual prototype, and you can be in front of companies, you know, and you can make, you know, pretty good money with licensing over time. It's not a get rich quick thing. Takes them three to nine months to launch the product quite often. Then the product needs to be in the store for three months. So pretty much guaranteed. Never expect you're going to be earning royalties. My chair is way too low. It's weird. Let me get that up there. Okay, there we go. Um, pretty much you're never going to be earning royalties in under a year. It's very rare. Um, maybe you get, you get them to pay for your patent or something like that. Um, but uh, it's not a get-rich-quick thing. Now, if the company is big, when you license to a big company, you kind of are that big company. So if they can sell 20,000, 50,000, half million units a year, it depends on the product, that's not craziness for these big companies. So you can dream big when you're licensing and make it happen without all that financial risk. So Christopher, um, you might not be fond of the licensing part, but it might be because you're not doing the right things and you're frustrated about things you don't need to be frustrated about. Um, I'm not pitching or coaching, but you know, you come across these little issues when you're with the coach, they fix it really quickly. When you're on your own, sometimes it'll hang you up. We do try to give a lot of free information away on our YouTube show. So keep watching our YouTube show. Maybe some of the shows we've done will address those things you're frustrated with so you can move forward. But people do get stuck and they get frustrated um, when they're on their own. So my answer is you, 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 you need to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. And the people that are doing it for you, most of them are just trying to take your money. Um, not saying 100% of them, but most of them. So uh, you don't have a choice. And you have to decide if you want to do that work. But I'll tell you, most of the work is not the inventing. You know, I have inventors that have so-so eh, ideas and they're hard workers and they license a product. Then I have inventors uh, that have, wow, that's really cool, but they're lazy about doing the work. And so it's about having a work ethic. Now, you can't have a lump of coal, don't get me wrong, but you, you don't need to have fantastic ideas to license them. You just need, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's a little improvement here and there. Um, but they, they, they both work. doesn't matter if it's a mind-blowing idea or if it's a slight improvement. But you have to have the work ethic. You have to do the work. Um, and Annie Bonnie, I sorry, I never know how to pronounce that. Anna Bonnie. Uh, Hi, Andrew. Should I still make contact with companies even though their website states they accept outside submissions? I think what you probably meant is your website states they don't accept outside submissions. So sometimes they, they might say that. But if you call the gatekeeper or you email a marketing manager on LinkedIn or, sorry, message a marketing manager on LinkedIn, and they're like, oh, I send it on over. Sometimes they, they don't observe that. Usually when they put it on their website, though, um, it's probably going to be accurate. But if you're like, oh, I, this company is so perfect, go ahead. Call the gatekeeper. Try to get a reach out to a marketing manager on LinkedIn or via the phone or via email and see if they'll – go around it. That is, that does happen sometimes. So I'm assuming you're saying that they don't accept outside submissions. You wrote that they do, but um, uh, JCH Express, what, what would you say a marketing manager values most or likes best about when looking at ideas for new products and people that submit 
with IR or on their own. Okay, well, all our students submit directly to companies. We don't act as an in-between ever. Um, so our students know exactly what's going on all the time, which when you get these so-called agents, you don't know what the heck's going on. Um, oh, no, I can't disclose who I submitted to. That's confidential. It's like, really? You know, just submit directly so you know what's going on. But um, what do they value most? A couple of things they value. They value the fact that you took a look at their product line and you're not sending them a product that clearly doesn't match their product line. That you're not going so far out in left field, left field, not right field, left field, that um, you're respecting their time. So, and they also value a good sell sheet or video that they can get in six to 10 seconds. So they don't have to spend a lot of time on. So those are the two biggest things that they value. They also value inventors that aren't, are not unrealistic, you know, like I want a quarter million up front or some junk like that. Um, they value inventors that don't ramble in emails. They um, value inventors that seem to have their act together. So they're not going to be embarrassed when they tell, tell other people in the company about you and your product. So those are all important things. Um, again, to, to restate all those things, they value a, a clean, clear marketing piece, sell sheet or video sell sheet so they can get it right away. Um, they value that you looked at their product line. It's not, you're not sending a bicycle to a mattress company. That's an extreme example, but you get the idea. It's got, you, you, you took the time to look at their product line. You didn't just hear, you know, one, one time we, we sent out a newsletter saying this company is open to ideas. And this particular, the, the, the president of the company um, got really mad at us because it was went out to our general email list. It didn't go out to um, our student list. And it was a couple, literally like three or four days before he was heading to a major trade show. And, and because it went out to our general email list, you know, not everybody's trained. They're not all invent rights students. They're just fans of ours, which is fine. Um, he got inundated with tons of products that the inventor didn't care. All they saw was, oh, they're open to ideas. So they took whatever idea they had. They didn't look at the company's website, look at their products. Was this the right match? Oh, no, that's, my product wouldn't fit in there. They just spammed them. And, and so that was a little experience that we had. So don't, don't make that mistake. Um, now, let's see. Uh, Dronus. Hi, Andrew. I have an idea to recreate but make better and already existing outdoor products. Okay. There's so many companies to contact. What company would you would be first on your choice, better outdoor product. So I can't give you a specific name because I don't know the type of your product. You have to look at companies that are a right match for your type of product. Outdoor products is awfully general. Um, but what I'll say is your specific question is, what company would be your first choice? Well, there wouldn't be. Now, you can have a favorite, that's fine. But we teach our students to make a list of, of quite if possible, and quite often it is for a lot of product categories, 20 or 30 companies. And it's a shotgun blast to go out to all of them. There's no first choice. There might be your favorite or your favorite two or three, but you're pushing it out to all of them at the same time. Um, so there is no first choice that I would give you. And without knowing the specifics of your product, I, I, I couldn't guide you to make your, your list there. So, um, but uh, don't reach out to one or two. So that's the lesson there, Dronus. Um, you're never reaching out to one or two. Now, 
I said 20 or 30. Sometimes you have certain products. Oh, there's only five. There's only eight. There's only 12. But very often um, when students are new with us, they will um, say, well, here's my list. And the coach is like, yeah, those four companies are good, but you could have 30 here. You're not, you need to think about it with your product. I would look here and here. That's the benefit of having a coach. Like, oh, well, you could go with companies making this type of product, these types of retailers, that sort of thing. So make sure not just to reach out to one or two. I think a lot of inventors do do that. I mean, I, I, this is what some inventors do. And so if some of you are new, you know, um, this is something you don't want to do. People will go out and file a full utility patent. Not what you want to do. You want to file a $75 provisional. So you spend 10 grand on a patent. And then you make some weak attempt to reach out to two or three of the biggest companies, that was the biggest and the best, right? And you send them a copy of your patent. No, 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 no. You, you, you send them a sell sheet, you send them a marketing piece or a video, and it's gonna be what they would show their customer, okay? So I think a lot of, you know, there's, there's some statistics that say 97% of all inventors that file patents never make any more money than the patent costs them. But most of those inventors, I've talked to huge numbers of them, they've never made any serious attempt to reach out. I've talked to people that file full utility patents. And when I look at whatever marketing they have or whatever they sent companies, it's, it's, it's horrendous. It's not something they would never license with what they're sending. Or they're talking about, I want to sell you my patent. The, the way they're approaching it. Um, their marketing isn't good. They're doing so many things wrong. Now, a lot of people just file a patent and they just expect the world to beat a path to their door. Um, some people will file, put patents on, I haven't talked about this on the YouTube, on, I've talked about the YouTube show, but not on the live, the live Q&A. There's websites that will say, list your patent. Really? You know, so you're going to like list your patent on some website. Do you think a marketing manager for XYZ company has time to go to this website and dig through all these patents, not marketing materials that are easy to understand the benefits really quickly, but patents, which are boring, hard to understand what the product is, because that's not really, that's not really, I mean, you can, but you'd have to spend a lot of time doing that. Um, and even if you put marketing materials up there, which some people do, I've never met an inventor ever license a product that way. Um, but these are the the feeble things that a lot of people do to try to license their product um, that will just go absolutely nowhere. So a lot of those statistics are because um, people just file patents and then they don't do anything after that. Most, the vast majority of them don't even do a damn thing after they file a patent. They just kind of get stuck. A lot of people will try to like, they'll start to research a little bit. Oh, can I make this smell, sell it myself? Because they don't even understand that licensing exists or how to approach that. Maybe they have a vague idea, uh, but they start and then they realize, oh, I don't have the money to start my own company. Um, you know, and then they just, it just sits there. I have no idea how often that happens. It's incredibly, incredibly common. Um, so let's see. That was from Dronus. So thank you, Dronus. Um, Christopher, done my research on my product. <clears throat> okay, you already said that. You already. Okay, we did that one. <clears throat> Freddie, hey, Andrew, I'm trying to license a product in an industry that does not really innovate. Oh, interesting. Um, any tips on breaking through and getting them to even look at my sell sheet? So 
you know, you have to ask yourself, why, why is that? They're, they're a dinosaur, as we say it sometimes. You know, you're just not seeing any innovation there. Now, what's good about that is because they're so stale, you could have an idea that's not that big of a deal, and it might get their attention. You know, also, or they might just be really resistive to change. Or um, there might be just a few, three big companies completely dominate, and they don't feel like they in, in, need to innovate because they dominate the industry. And there's not 15 or 20 companies or even 10. There's only like three. So they just don't want to innovate. I would suggest still reaching out. Um, I would be very persistent, um, you know, and, and make a good marketing piece. And see if you, they're open to innovating. I think those companies are um, probably going to be more open to slight incremental improvements <coughs> rather than giant improvements. So if you're seeing they're not really doing anything new in like 15 years, it's like that might be too big of a leap for them to make a giant jump. Also, sometimes there is some um, slightly outside the box um, out slightly outside the industry where it's like it's in a slightly different product category and they would make it and maybe they'll innovate. So, you know, it's like these are the standard, only three big players. They're stale. They haven't done anything new. But then there's these companies selling kind of somewhat similar stuff and you're noticing they're innovating there. So why not submit to them? Might be a little bit of a stretch. So you kind of got to look where where they're innovating it might be just you too thinking they're not innovative or you not really looking at all the products in the space or only looking at the products just like yours when there's kind of like oh it could be over here and they could change it like this so sometimes it could be that you didn't do your research but um so those are a few different reasons why um you should still reach out to those in those industries that don't innovate. If you could type to me um, what industry it is, that would be great. I'd appreciate that. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to that later and jump back to it. Uh, uh, yeah, so Christopher's saying, I, I, I know some product developers have a licensing agent that takes part of the royalties. Stephen mentions this in his book. Um, the, most of the so-called licensing agents are invention promotion companies that will want you to pay them ten or $12,000. And they say, oh, well, we want 20% of your royalties too to make you believe they actually care and will make an effort to license your product when they really want your ten or $12,000. That is, is the norm, Christopher. Um, so, you know, we talk about it in our book and, and we talk about the fact that you could be a legitimate licensing agent, not asking people for $212,000, but representing them and then just taking a percentage, you know, so that when you're successful, you only pay when you're successful. But it's very, very hard to find an agent that will do that for you. And again, I, I can just say I've never met an inventor in 20 years that's done that outside of the toy business. I'm sure they exist somewhere, but if you keep digging around for them, I don't. You know, sometimes what they do is they, those people that do exist, they'll just show it to the one or two companies they know. That's weak. That's really weak. Rather, they're not going to push it out to 30 companies. They're not going to do that work. Um, and then a lot of times when inventors come to them with terrible marketing materials and stuff, they're like, eh, no, you know, so then they expect you to do everything else, you know, and it's really not hard to reach out to companies. So why not just do it yourself? And the answer is you don't, you probably don't feel confident to do it yourself. You have a lot of doubt. You, you don't realize 
it's not that hard. It's not that scary. And I encourage you to do it. So if you do look for somebody like that at some point, I would always do it yourself first so you know what's involved. So you can really kind of keep tabs on it. If you're completely clueless about it, you can't like grill them on it or interview them about what they're actually doing because you've never done it yourself. Um, I'm not saying you need to be successful. So if you do find somebody to do it completely on the come without charging you a dime, um, first ask them about their track record. How many products? And if there's no track record there, I, I think it's a waste of time. And even if there is, you know, I, I, you know, well, how many products have you worked on? How many, anyway, you can ask those questions. So you're going to spend a long time looking if you're looking for that. Um, yeah, we have a somewhat decent attendance for Thanksgiving week, so that's pretty cool. Um, uh, Freddie says, when using LinkedIn to reach out to companies, is it acceptable to send messages to second connections, or would you recommend connecting with them individually first? Um, well, one of the things that we teach with, uh, we have a program called Smart Pitch, which teaches people specifically, Benjamin Harrison is a resident expert there, specifically how to license using LinkedIn. And one of the things that we teach is you never want to send a custom message. So when you, when you send an invite for them to be part of your network, you can, LinkedIn actually recommends you do this, and we recommend you absolutely do not. You can send a custom message. You know, you're immediately saying, I want to be your friend, and here's an ask. So that's the reason for them to say no. So what you want to do is you want to ask them into your network. Don't create any custom message whatsoever. And because it's just extra work for them, it's like another message. And then you want to wait at least two or three days before you send them a message saying, you know, asking them if you can send them a product submission for licensing. And even when you do that, we recommend that you don't assume it's them. You ask them who would be the right person, even though you know you think they're the right person. And if they say, oh, no, I'll look at it, but you're giving the opportunity to pass the buck to somebody else, which is perfectly fine. So, um, you know, you absolutely, it's okay to first connect, but do not connect and send that ask at the same time in the custom message when you're inviting them. Just invite them, wait at least two or three days, and then send your ask, okay? Um, let's see. Let's see if I missed somebody there. Okay. Sam says, one company contact gave me the contact for open innovation in a company. Another contact in the company said, no, all our product development is done in-house. Do I inform the one that said no of the error? <laughs> No, that's what they said. Um, okay, so what, what Sam is saying is actually not completely uncommon. He contacted one person in the company, and they said, contact this person. They're our open innovation manager. They'll receive your idea. Now, Sam contacted another person, and they said, no, we, we were use our own house product developers. So the answer is really simple. He gave you the answer. We use our own product developers. We don't receive ideas from the outside. That was that one guy. But the other guy gave you a different person that said, this is our open innovation guy. Send to him. So send to him. You already got an answer. One guy said no. Now, in some companies, another guy will say, okay, send it on over. That happens sometimes. So the answer is simple. Go with the one that you can get into. But you don't correct the person that said, we don't receive ideas from the outside. No, I think you do. I mean, that's, that's just freaking rude. You know, that's what he believes. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to receive it. 
And that's his response. Now, he may be lying to you. You may be like, you might be just busy and that's his way of getting rid of you. That's fine. But there's this, and, but that's how he feels. So that's not going to change. These are just people. And so some companies, you could contact eight people in a company because the attorney read them the riot act. They're all going to say the exact same thing. Some companies, another company, one would say no. And another one would say, yeah, send it on over. That's true. And see, that's a very important thing to learn. So if you guys learn one thing tonight when you're submitting exam, that's not that normal. So just go to the guy that the other person sent you said, this is our open innovation guy. Okay. Um, let's see. Jeff says, if after leaving a stumbling voicemail message that sounded like asking a senior to the freshman dance, should I call and leave a better message or just move on? I wouldn't worry about it, Jeff. I would send an email instead, and they won't make the connection that you were the person that left that voicemail. They will almost never respond to your voicemail. Um, a lot of people barely even check their voicemail. So, um, you know, sometimes you, it's okay if you leave voicemail and you, 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 you know, you say, can you email me? Maybe you give them your email address. Kind of awkward. If you ask the gatekeeper for their email, maybe you send an email. They won't make the connection. So don't even worry about it. But don't leave another voicemail. Um, reach out to them on LinkedIn. Um, try me try to get the email address from the gatekeeper. Some will go, oh, yeah, here's their email. Um, some won't, won't give it to you in a million years. No, you got to leave them a voicemail. So they won't even remember. So just reach out to a different way. They won't make the connection that that's you. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Matt. Hi, Andrew. How do you feel about using someone else's product picture in your sell sheet? Like as the sad black and white pick of how not to solve the problem. Is that acceptable or bad form? Okay. Um, Okay, so what you're saying is you're using somebody else's product. Like you've got a DRTV, and we've said this before, like you maybe have one pick that's like, usually you do this in videos, but it's like black and white, and then it's like color in the video. Oh, this is the solution. Like this is the problem, all messed up, black and white. Solution is in color. So what Matt's saying is he's doing that in a sell sheet, which is a little unusual, but I think it would work. Um, and I would have to see it to tell you for sure if it would work, Matt. But um, – you're saying, is it bad form to include the picture of their product? Um, you know, I, I, when you're privately sending something and you're not publicly doing it, there's something called fair use. And you can use people's logos and images of their pictures and stuff, but you need a disclaimer at the bottom that says all logos, trademarks, and products are the rights of their respective owners and we claim no rights and these, these pictures are just for illustrative purposes. So now you can't do that publicly, but if you're privately showing it to a marketing manager, that's, that's considered okay. Um, now, you don't want to you know, say anything libelous. And by the way, everything tonight that I'm saying is not considered legal advice before moving forward on anything. Please contact an attorney. Just a little disclaimer there. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you can include pictures of other people's products and things. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example what not to do. I had this one student once and, and I was helping him out and I didn't know he had a website. And so it was like a week or two into his membership. And, and he said, Andrew, Andrew, I, I got a cease and desist order from the NFL. And I'm like, what'd you do? He's like, well, they said I have to take down the NFL logos off my website. I'm like, why are you putting NFL logos on your website? That's their trademark. That's their logo. You can't do that. 
you know? And he's like, and I'm like, I just said, just remove it. Tell him you removed it. They never reach back out to him. Okay. But that's not the same. That's public. So you're dirtying their brand, let's say the NFL, because it's public and everybody's seeing it. Maybe the logo wasn't done right or they don't want to identify with the product and putting NFL next to it. You can't do that. Now, when you're privately showing it for license under fair use laws and the only person seeing it is the marketing manager and you put a disclaimer in there, you need to consult an attorney on what the disclaimer was. I gave you, I told you what sometimes people will say, um, but that that's okay. You know, you don't, but to just to beat up somebody else's product, uh, you know, if it's like a common product, maybe there's even two or three companies that do this type of product. And it's like a before and after. As I think if it's privately via email, that's perfectly acceptable. They will decide if they want to eventually do that in their public marketing, you know. But if it's just for illustrative purposes, people do that all the time. Um, let's see. Okay, Stephen says, hi, Andrew. I have a product idea I would like to license, but was told by a patent attorney it was not patentable. Are any ideas licensable if it's just a design patent ideas, or does a PPA help with this? So first off, patent attorneys aren't always right. Can't tell me many times where I talk to an inventor, patent attorney says it's not patentable. I'm like, what, what about this? What about that? What if you changed it like this? And so sometimes, you know, quite often I'm sure the patent attorneys are right, like, if it's like this that you're showing them, it might not be. Sometimes they're wrong on that too. But well, why don't you change a few things to make it patentable? But to change something to make it patentable and the new change doesn't make the product more marketable, that's ridiculous. Then you're just patenting for patent's sake. You want to patent what is a marketable product, right? And so if if so, first off, our students license stuff all the time that is weak, has weak patentability or no patentability. And they don't all get design patents because they couldn't get a utility patent. A lot of them just file a U.S. provisional patent for 75 bucks. You can legally say patent pending on the sell sheet. You could scribble on a piece of paper with crayon, send it into the patent office for 75 bucks, and they would accept it every time because they don't review provisional patents. People don't understand that. As long as you paid your fee and you filled out the form right, like your address and everything, they will accept it, and you can legally say patent pending for a year. So um, a lot of times it's good, even if it's on a, something that you think is not patentable, to file a provisional patent. It might be. It's, it's uncertain. So you're not doing anything wrong or illegal or anything there. Um, and illegally, you put patent pending on the sell sheet. And quite often the company is like interested and they're like, yeah, we're, we're not going to file a patent, but we'll pay you royalties. So the licensing agreement would be dependent on the product, not the patent. This perception that you have to have a patent in order to do a licensing agreement is just straight up wrong. Now, in some industries, they're brutal industries, you're not going to get away with not having a patent. So like the packaging industry, like a toothpaste tube or baby diapers, things that sell bazillions of units, you need to have a patent on that sort of stuff. But it's a kitchen gadget, it's a dog toy, it's a gardening thing. You can license that stuff all the time and it's not patentable or it's questionable. But to have that perceived protection to file a $75 provisional patent is, is something you should you should almost always do. Now, it doesn't mean that you will get a patent eventually, but a lot of the companies don't care. So it gives that perceived protection. So that's what I would do, Stephen. I would go ahead and file a provisional patent, okay? And uh, so you wrote, Stephen, is a utility patent for an idea necessary? No, it is not in most categories. Um, let's see. 
Nick. Hi, Andrew. Always enjoy your weekly show. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Nick. Thank you. It wasn't always weekly. We started it during COVID and I just didn't stop doing it because you guys seem to appreciate it. Wow, we've got the numbers up for the attendance. That's cool. So even though it's Thanksgiving Day week, we have a decent, decent attendance, about 75 people. It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, and we're just, I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't have a date that I'm going to stop. Um, but, uh, and I enjoy it. You guys know that I, if you've been attending them, you know I like answering questions. And I try to talk very fast, so I answer a lot of questions. If I was a slow talker like this, maybe I'd get to like a quarter of the questions I do. So I try, I'm always a value guy. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not the guy that buys the most expensive thing or the cheapest thing. I'm like the value guy, like right in the middle. And, and um, I like providing a lot of value to folks. Of course, this is all free, so that's a great value. Um, let's see. Okay, uh, Freddie, the industry that I was referring to in my previous question is the clothing accessories industry, not innovating. Okay. Um, the companies that I reach out to think I would present to them my designs. Okay. Well, I completely disagree with you. Clothes, clothing accessories, like Spanx was very innovative. I could think of some innovative clothing products, but in that, but you are correct. The clothing business is brutal. Um, you know, I mean, a designer will come out with a new product line and, you know, you know, like a month later, two weeks later, there's a bunch of people knocking it off because most clothing doesn't provide utility or functionality. It's just design. So there's a ton of people knocking them off. Now, they can't knock off the name. If it's Isaac Mizrahi or whatever it is, the, 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 the name of the, the brand, if it's Calvin Klein or whatever, that's how they protect themselves with strong branding. So somebody can't sell clothing that has Calvin Klein on it, but they can sell the exact same design. But there are products like Spanx and a few products like that. I don't know if you guys know what Spanx are. Look it up. I think it's S-P-A-N-X. And other products that do have functionality and utility, you know? Like, you know, and so there are products you can do in clothing where they do innovate. So I don't, I, I don't agree that it, there's not a lot of innovation, but I, I, I don't agree that there's none, but I agree there could be a lot more. And if it has functionality and utility, but it's a very difficult industry to license in Freddie, Freddie. Um, so, and you kind of, you, you want, you know, what I just said about the clothing industry where they just knock each other off. That's not true of other industries, but it is true of clothing. So you need to have patentability there. It, it's critical. Um, that's one of those uh, rare industries where you really need some sort of patentability. It's just not, not going to work. Um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, my, you didn't type your real name. My, Oh, that's a fun name. My Jolly Cat. Okay, My Jolly Cat. Um, when to follow up? Hi, Andrew. When to follow up if a company didn't check back after they said they'll email me back in a week or so? Uh, when to follow up? Well, they said they'll email you back in a week or so, so I would wait always a little longer than they said. So a week or so could really mean two weeks. So I would wait two weeks and then email them back. Um, I think that's I think that's a good period of time. When you email them back, God, do not send them an email. Did you get my other email? Like send them everything included in that follow-up email so they can see the email chain and anything is attached. That is so annoying. That's that's one thing that really annoys marketing managers. Have everything neatly attached. Don't say, did you get my other email? So they have to search for it. They don't have the freaking time for that. Okay. So, um, but yeah, two weeks is fine. 
Melissa says, what is the best way to get my product priced? There, there is no way to get your product priced. You want to kind of guesstimate based on the other things in the marketplace, Melissa, as to what price it would sell for. And you should ask yourself, what's the perceived value of my product? Is it worth $19.95? Is it worth $29.95? So look for things that are somewhat similar and go, could I make that product for that same price? And a lot of times if it's somewhat similar and you just have a slight change, you can go, well, they can make that for $19.95. And I just added a hinge here. I don't think that's going to add much cost. And so then you know that you can do it. So that I think that's what you were getting at, Melissa, is like how do I figure out this thing can be made at a reasonable price? And a lot of times you can just look at similar products. You don't need to like go getting quotes in China or something like that, which you need to be careful about. Um, okay, uh, Factum. Hi, Andrew. Um, LOL, speaking of confidence, I finally decided to give the contest a shot. So, yeah, we, we have this contest. It's going to end at 10 p.m. Pacific time tonight. So if you want to enter to win our boot camp or one-on-one -on -one coaching or our – we have two academies, which is group coaching. And then we have a, a design studio package, which is a sell sheet and a virtual prototype. And then we have our smart IP solution to file a provisional patent. We're giving all five of those things away. It's like – I think it's over $5,000 worth of stuff. Um, and if you go on our website, there should be a pop-up right there and you can enter. You have to do a one-minute video on why you think you make a good event rights student. We have a lot of submissions, um, but the deadline is 10 o'clock tonight. So Factum, good on you for, for submitting that. Um, I wish you lots of luck. Uh, we have the whole company reviewing those. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, William. Hi, Andrew. Will a company continue to license your product when your PPA expires and neither you nor the licensee goes forward with a non-provisional? Yeah, because you can make the licensing agreement not dependent on a patent at all, where they have to pay you royalties regardless of a patent being filed or not filed. And people trip out on that. But yes, you can totally do that. So the company may go, well, we don't want to file a patent. But yeah, we want to sell this thing. We'll pay you royalties. If you want to file one, you can. And you're like, mm, I, don't, I don't know. So what you can do, this is a little trick. Um, you could file, because if there's no public disclosure has been made yet, you know, sold it as swap meet, put it up on a website, no public disclosure has been made yet. Um, what you could do is you could file another provisional, exact same thing, and you could file it like a couple weeks before they go public with the product, okay? And that would give you a year. You could see how the sales do, and then you could assess if you wanted to file a provisional if they didn't want to. So you could do that. I've had students do that. So that's just a little advanced trick that when you guys do your first deal, something that you can do. Um, or you can get them to pay for the, the patent if they're up for it. They give you the money, give your money to the attorney. Your attorney will reference your provisional, preserving that filing date, and write the full utility. We get students doing that all the time, too. Um, uh, Sebastian says, I just submitted my video and hope to work with you very soon. I'm honored to be part of it. So he submitted uh, through the contest. So thank you, Sebastian. Um, let's see. Uh, huh. Duke says, hi, Andrew, do you have any advice for inventors who are not knowing where they are in the process of developing their products? 
what I would advise you to do, because, you know, the, the YouTube show, I think we have over 600 YouTube shows. It's, it's some crazy number. Um, it's not it's not all neatly organized into our Invent Right 10 Steps. What I would recommend is you get our book, One Simple Idea. It's like, I don't forget what it is on Amazon. It's 15, 18 bucks. I don't know. It's pretty cheap. And it, it outlines our 10-step system. And so that will give you a framework to know our 10 steps. And then you can figure out where you are in the process, and it's going to be a little bit of a, a guide for you. No, it's not a coach talking to you every week and guiding you or telling you how to respond to a company or how to go forward specifically with your product. But it does give the 10-step structure. So if you need that structure and you don't know where you are in the process, you don't know, I don't know the whole process, that book will lay it out for you. It's called One Simple Idea. It's the yellow book. If you go on Amazon, you can find that. And we have like a ton of five-star reviews. I think between the two editions, I think we have about 705. I think it's, we have seven reviews. I think they're, I think we're at four and a half, five stars, but we have like seven, I think we have 705 star. Don't quote me on that, but it's right around there. Um, so that will give you an idea where you are. That's a really good question. And I think um, somebody else said um, that was a really good question. Uh, Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, th the mic. The mic is your handle. How about a game that existed before without a patent or any product to play, but the game is played by anything? Can I develop a product for the game? I, uh, you need to... Be more articulate there, the mic, you know, specific. Be Write that up again, and I'll answer your question. It's too confusing. I'm just going to make up what your question is. If you could write that again, I'll, I'll definitely answer it. I mean, I think we've got a good 18 minutes left. Um, uh, Bohemian Hill, I know you get this a lot, but do you have any have anything, anything, any sell sheet advice? Also, what is the best way to get your idea to a company? Um, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that I gave somebody I was talking to earlier today. Um, first off, you know, I can't explain everything about sell sheets in a few minutes, but they need to understand it in six to 10 seconds. So I'll give you this advice. Um, when you have a sell sheet or a video, put it on your laptop. Okay, and you can do this with friends and family. It cannot be any friends and family that you've ever talked to the product about before. Now, I don't care. It could be Uncle Joe that's kind of mean and he says, you know, sarcastic things. Or it could be your mom that's always like, oh, honey, that's beautiful. <laughs> or, or somebody in between. It doesn't matter. This will work with anybody. And if, if it's, you know, if it's somebody outside of your family, somebody you don't know that well, get them to sign an NDA. But Put it on your laptop, or it can be a desktop, and you got to stand behind the monitor, behind the laptop, spin it around or stand behind and just stare at their face. You turn it on, and you just look at their face. And what you're going to do is see if there's confusion in their face and listen to the questions they ask you, but do not say anything. Well, what, is, what does that do? And say nothing, stone face. Just look at their face. And, and if they are asking a bunch of questions and they're not getting it or they look really confused or maybe they look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, and they say that within like four or five seconds, you're good. But if they don't, they're like, so does the doohickey over there? Or what, 
why would I get this? You know, or, you know, they say you, you get the idea. So what's beautiful about this, you don't have to pay some marketing professional for those of you that aren't going to become an InventRight student. This is something all of you can do with your friends and family to make sure your marketing piece is good. Because I can tell you, when I see marketing pieces from non-InventRight students, 95% of the time it's not good enough. Now, sometimes, a lot of the time it's just absolutely horrendous. It's long and rambling, too many pictures, too much text, big blocks of text. It's just terrible. And then other times it's like, okay, but it's not accomplishing that six to 10 seconds. I got it and I need to think. They cannot think. You want to assume the marketing managers are brain dead and they're just going to give it a glance. And that's what you need to realize. A lot of people in corporate America, they're doing two or three people's jobs these days. They're inundated with email. They're busy. Think of them. If they can get your product in six to 10 seconds, not only will they be able to review it and actually give you honest feedback or say yes or no or say if it's the right match for their product, but it'll help that if they can get it that quickly, if they're interested, they'll be like, oh, my customers will get that quickly too because I got it right away. And so that's what you want them to be thinking. So the best advice I can get give you there is to do the laptop test or stand behind a desktop, show it to people, see if, if you have a marketing piece or a video, see if they're getting it. And if they aren't, you need to fix it. And if you're not going to get our help, get somebody that's good at marketing to fix it up and tell them, I need a marketing manager. When they get this, they understand the product in like six seconds. That's my goal. Okay. So... Uh, Kevin says, if I'm licensing a physical board game, is that idea protected from digital representations in regards to knockoffs? You know, so there's um, there's this gentleman um, that invented Phase 10, and Steve and I have interviewed him, have hung out with him at the Toy and Game Inventor Forum, and really, really cool guy. And he is famous uh, card game called Phase 10. He's earned royalties on that. Don't quote me on this. I don't remember the exact time period. It's like something like 25 years or something. It's a really long time. I forget the exact time. It's insane. He's been earning royalties on that forever, like good royalties, okay? Um, and, and, you know, he, is, he has versions of digital versions, and there were some knockoffs. So, um, you know, and, and yes, if it's the same and it's digital version of it, yes, you can protect a, a, an app or a digital version of the game just like the physical board game version you you most definitely can um is the idea protected from digital rep in regards to yeah you have to cover it in your in your provisional patent application if there's something that you're going to do that's slightly different for the digital version you want to mention that in your provisional patent application and later any patent um but here's the thing with games that's really cool a lot of times you're just you're not covering it with patents you're covering it with copyrights with just the rules and if the rules are the same for the digital version and the physical version, you're pretty much covered both ways. But again, anything I'm sharing tonight is not legal advice. Seek the service of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice before you take action on anything. But um, what's really great about board games is, the, and that's free. Copyright is immediately free. Just put the little C. You can send it to Library of Congress if you want to do that. That's who handles copyrights if you want that, that, that get that documented. But and copyright law is a lot easier to interpret than patent law. It's a lot stronger because the judge looks at it and go, well, here are the rules here. Here are the rules. This is the same, same sentence, same everything. And it's a lot easier to determine if there's a infringement um, from uh, copyright on rules on board games than patents. 
so that you're you're on very good ground there, Kevin. Um, uh, okay, we got 12 minutes left. Uh, Walid, uh, hi Andrew, is it crazy to license an idea to Google? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I can't tell you. People, oh, I'm gonna. Uh, this is for Google and Apple. I'm like, yeah, okay. I look at it. I'm like, no, it could be for a ton of other companies. Um, it's very unlikely you're going to license anything to Google and Apple. And they're, they're in that category I call a mega corporation, like a 3M, a Google, an Apple. And I could count them probably on two hands, companies that are in some ways too big to license to. And, and so, um, yeah, it, it's next to impossible. I almost wouldn't bother. Um, so, but most of the time, when I look at products, people that have products for Google or Apple, I look at it, and there are a bunch of other companies they can license. Maybe they need to change the product a little bit to make it work, but usually there's a bunch of other companies. But most of the time, I'm just going to say it, it's not worth the time. Um, Debbie says, how do I find information regarding a certain product line? For example, how many households own a doorstop or how many doorstops were sold last year? Who cares? I don't care. It's not worth your time to research that, Debbie. And if you do that research, and this is a rookie move that some inventors make, you could find that research. And then you tell the company, well, this is how many doorstops were sold. And if we only sell 1% of the market, we'll get rich. Never, ever, ever say that. So I don't care. Like you, you probably know a lot of doorstops are sold. You know, if you see them in a Walmart and a Home Depot and a Lowe's, let's say it's a doorstop, you, you know they have huge distribution. You know that company's qualified. License it to them. Don't do analysis by paralysis. You don't need those facts. They know those facts, and they're irrelevant. They're not important. Now, you can find it if you want to get that information. Occasionally, it does make sense. I'm not saying it never makes sense, but never quote it back to them because it just looks green. And then especially say, if we only get 2% of the market, they're selling doorstops. You're going to show them the doorstop. They're either excited about it or they aren't. You don't need to know how many doorstops are sold in the world. Really don't. Now, am I saying that's always the case? No, there might be products where it does make sense to do some research there, but our students don't do it. It's just a, it's just a time suck. It's not necessary. Some of you are probably surprised to, to, to hear that. I mean, if you're starting your own business, and manufacturing and selling a product yourself. Do you need to do that kind of research? Yeah, I would say you do. You need to know all the players, but I don't think it's relevant when you're licensing. Um, uh, Javed, uh, hi, Andrew. I've been licensing, asking the employees of the potential licensee, potential companies for licensing through LinkedIn to refer me to the right person but it wasn't successful. Would you please help? You just have to do more of it, Javad. So um, asking employees. So employees, you know, I mean, I would reach out to marketing managers, but also reach out to other people. And so you could, it's okay to reach out to three or four or five or six people in the company asking that. Some companies, the employees aren't on LinkedIn. You need to call on the phone. Other companies, all employees are on LinkedIn. Maybe some of them, a bunch of them have a profile. Some people have a LinkedIn profile are only visiting it when they're worried they might lose their job. Others are on there every freaking day and they'll respond within an hour. 
it's all over the map. So my guess is you don't have a large enough sample size. You haven't reached out. Um, and, you know, if you're if you were an event rights student, I would say, which I think you are, Java, didn't you become an event rights student? If you could type in, I thought you did become an event rights student. You should get into Smart Pitch, talk to Benjamin Harrison, our LinkedIn for licensing expert. On those um, live sessions, those live Zoom sessions we have for our students, quite often, like students will not have some success initially. Ben gives them tips on let's tweak this in, and then they start to have great success. But Java, type in if you became a student. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like 99% sure. So jump into the Smart Pitch session. Talk to our resident LinkedIn for licensing expert, Ben. Tell him with everybody listening, this is what I'm doing. And let him tell you what you should do next. And he's turned a whole bunch of people around that way. He's fantastic. So make sure to do that. I knew you were an event rights student. Um, so let's see what else we got here. Uh, Sam says, does the PPA application need to be notarized? No, not, not whatsoever. You just send it into the, the patent office. Um, when you use our smart IP software, Sam, it gives you instructions for submitting it to the patent office. And so, no, there's no need for it to be notarized at all. It's a good question, though. Um, uh, Sam also said, hi, Andrew, I've got a fitness product. Do you know what big companies are the best to contact to license it to? Um, yeah, you know, so we teach our students to make the, based on the product to make their list from scratch. So it's a methodology. So if you're on with the coach, we would be guiding you as to how to make that list. We don't go, oh, that's your product, Sam. Here's your list. Here's the 12 companies that you should call or 20 companies. Like we're, we're going, well, you should look for this type and you should look over here and look at these types of retailers and do this and that. So it's a methodology that once you've done it for a product or two, You'll never be asking again, how do I make my list of companies? Um, then you had another part of your question. Also, does InventRight ever invest in products to go through the manufacturing and selling? No, we're all about licensing. We don't, you don't need investors when you're licensing. When you license to a big company, it's their money. They have unlimited money for a product that sells well because they have lines of credit. Maybe they have 50 or 100 products in their line. And you're going to utilize their existing workforce. So utilizing economies of scale, so they already have manufacturers reps constantly calling on the retailers. They already have a manufacturing guy that this is just one more product. He's going to take care of manufacturing. They have everybody in every department, accounting, every department. And then they already have distribution. So they're in 30,000 stores. Boom, you're in 30,000 stores. So you don't need investors. They are investing in your product and have the workforce and have the distribution. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so everything's already lined up for you there. So no, we do not invest in, because we don't, we don't do venturing. We don't tell people to start their own business. Um, and we don't take any percentage when people license their product either. Um, our students keep 100% of whatever they do. Um, that would get too sticky and silly. We don't, we don't do that. Um, It's an interesting question. I don't know how to answer it. Claude said, hi, Andrew. Is having a prototype the only difference between product innovation and service innovation? I, I don't know what you mean by service innovation. Um, no, I, I, and what, what I'll say is what I always say, guys, is you're not selling your patent. You're not selling your prototype. You're selling the benefit of your product. So a lot of our students just move forward. 
show the benefit in a sell sheet or video with a virtual prototype. Don't even have a real prototype. Fairly certain the company can do it. Not 100%, but fairly certain they just move forward with their ideas. But um, you're getting all, I, I studied marketing in college and most of marketing is just a lot of freaking double talk to make people that aren't in marketing think that marketers are smart. And I hated that. I think why not bring it down to a simple level? You don't need to come up with all these complicated terms for simple concepts. And so when you say, what's the difference between product innovation and service innovation? I have no idea what you're saying there. Um, but you can, if we have, when we have four minutes left, you can clarify. But it's a good question. Um, you know, you're not selling your prototype. So uh, yeah, anyway. Um, I was, I was, I always love your handle, Handy the Sock, which you never type your real name, or maybe sometimes you do, but I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> hey, Andrew, when approaching a company, when trying to get them to license your character brand, would you mock your brand on their category in more chance of them taking your license brand? Okay. So it gets a little complicated with brand with the brand licensing. I mean, so Handy the Sock has a character. I don't know, maybe it's a sock. I don't know, bad joke. Um, but uh, it's a sock puppet, right, Handy the Sock? Um, but is it okay to mock, to, yeah, if you had um, this cute little character or edgy character or whatever, and they were selling T-shirts, yeah, you could put it on a T-shirt, you could put it on a coffee mug, if you felt like it would be a right match to put on other products. But, you know, when you have a character, you know, usually the characters that do well are the ones that, you know, for instance, that kids, you know, they saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or my daughter. I don't know if she is now, but she's in the new Disney show Descendants, you know. And so, you know, uh, they're going to sell everything with Descendants on it or Mickey Mouse. Right. Let's say Mickey Mouse. So if you if you are Disney, you're offering people that make T-shirts and coffee mugs and different things the right to put Mickey Mouse on their products and their manufacturers of products. And then Disney gets paid a royalty for putting Mickey Mouse on a scooter or whatever it is. Um, but those are well-known brands. So you have a character and nobody knows it. There was no book. There was no TV show. So the question is, is does it stand up on its own? Do people look at it not having ever seen a TV show or a comic book or whatever it is and go, oh, that's cute. And they want to buy it. Or maybe it's edgy or it's gross or something like that. So if it stands up on its own, yeah, you can do that. And you can you can try to do that without looking at your product specifically. Can't say 100% for sure. But can you license a character? Um, absolutely. We've had students do that. We have students working on that right now. Um, uh, it, I don't know how to read this handle. Endofinder. Endofinder. Uh, thank goodness for InventRight, Andrew and Stephen. Fantastic service to the community. Gotta go. Okay, Endofinder. That's a really hard name to pronounce. Um, you, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Ricochet Entertainment Group. Hey, Andrew, thanks for your service. Can you define the pitch? seasons for example if i pitch in the fall should my product be for the winter or spring i don't know why you're saying that my suspect i suspect you're saying that because we had yawn the um ceo and founder of kickerland on last week and he talked about um submitting seasonally for most products that's not going to be the case you're just going to submit 
And when they say no, then you can ask if they have seasonal preference on when to submit. Uh, a lot of companies don't. A few companies do. Um, so I wouldn't overthink it. I would just submit. And when they say no, you can ask. You go, um, is there a particular time of year it's best time to submit this type of product? And if they say, oh, yeah, you know, typically we're looking at those in the spring and you're like, oh, it's not the spring yet. I wouldn't hesitate for a second to resubmit that when they told you. So I would just submit. And then if they if if you want to ask them and then resubmit during that time, they said it was ideal. Most companies just going to take ideas year round. So don't overthink that. You can have paralysis by analysis on that. My guess is you watched that webinar just last Thursday, and that's why you're asking that question. Um, uh, Bohemian Hill, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate all the advice. Uh, Factum, thank you, Andrew. Sorry I'm cooking too. Hopefully one of my cooking ideas can reach the market. The pandemic helped with home economics and cooking, LOL. Yeah, um, so like puzzles took off, um, kitchen, people are cooking more at home. Those are all good, good categories. I think one category, I mean, it's just, it's kind of obvious, like uh, commercial uh, equipment, commercial restaurant supplies, like big mixing bowls that you'd use in a commercial kitchen stuff. Probably not the best time to be pitching those right now. Um, but if you're really into that category, you know, you could still submit. And it might be a while before they're ready. Um, there's a certain categories that are really hurting right now, but really not, not most. Um, Sam says, have you or Stephen ever been in front of a judge over patent infringement? No, Stephen um, was with, he, uh, he sued a little company called Legos. The only time it's ever happened in his career. And um, they settled on the courthouse steps. So I don't, he was in arbitration, but I guess it wasn't a judge, but he was in arbitration. And then they settled. That's all he can say. Um, but, they did settle. Um, let's see, we are two minutes over. Uh, Wally, it says, hi, Andrew, how much does it cost to be an event rights student? Uh, for our academy program, it's about 900 bucks. That's a group coaching program. It's half a year. And for our one-on-one coaching program, which includes a sell sheet, virtual prototype, smart IP software, access to a uh, license, uh, negotiation coach in addition to a regular licensing coach that you meet with every single week. Um, and you can email them anytime for half a year. That's about 3,000. So the one-on-one -on -one coaching is 3,000. The group coaching is about 900. I'd say about 90% of the people sign up for the one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, but I'm proud that we have an affordable option for people that are really tight financially too. Um, Okay, so I, I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and, you know, um, spend time with your maybe immediate family, maybe extended family, whatever you guys decide was right for you. I'm not judgy there. Whatever you decide was right for you is right for you. And, um, and stay safe, um, stay healthy. Um, and this is a time of year where you're thinking about your inventions, maybe a little more so because you have a little free time. You're not so busy with work and other things you're doing. So remind yourself that, you know, I'm assuming if you spend a whole hour listening to me ramble that inventing is important to you. This is part of who you are and you need to learn the business side, which is the boring side compared to the coming up with ideas side. But you do, in my biased opinion, you don't have a choice. You have to learn this business side of inventing.
and um, and and with maybe that involves watching your YouTube show, maybe getting our books, maybe signing up to 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 be one of our students, or um, or going it all on your own. But whatever you do, spend time every week, make it part of your weekly routine, and um, learn from your mistakes. Um, if you're with us, you're going to make a lot less mistakes than on your own. But if you're on your own, learn from your mistakes and just keep moving forward. And realize that most inventors, they rip themselves off out of their own fears. Um, it's very rare that they get ripped off by companies. So not doing anything, every moment you don't do anything and don't move forward and don't get it, reach out to companies, you're ripping yourself off. So don't be afraid. Go for it. Um, if, you, if, if you need legal advice, always seek the services of an attorney. Um, and if you need business advice, we're always here. And I remind you guys to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See ya. Bye.